We're going to start a new series today called Liar, Liar. And what I want to do is I want to talk about those things that Satan uh, plants in our minds and we believe. And it's really, you know, this is, man, we're in this together. You and I are in this together and um, we're, uh, you know, this is where as we live our lives, there are times where Satan just, it, well, not just times, but that's what Satan wants to do is just plant these lies within our, within our minds, uh, so that we will, we will miss what God has for us. We will doubt or whatever, whatever it will do. I mean, it has tr- obviously tremendous effects, uh, for us. John 8, 44, if you would look at this passage of scripture, Jesus says it. He says this, and he's talking to the Pharisees actually, but he says this, you're, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. And then he, uh, this is kind of what we're going to be talking about through this whole series. Jesus says this, when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Okay, of liars. I'm not so sure we understand or really take that verse to heart. Jesus is saying that Satan is doesn't know the truth. He's a murderer. The thing that he wants to do is, is get us off point. The thing he wants to do in your life is to deceive you. You may not be committing the big sins if we would have them on a piece of paper. Well, I haven't done this one or I haven't done that one. But I want to tell you something. The one thing that Satan can do is come into your life and deceive you, and you get to thinking about something, and what happens is your perception becomes your reality. You begin to believe in it, and you believe in it so much that it's truth to you. So literally, a lie can become a truth to you, right? I mean, a lie can literally become a truth to you. That's what's scary. For some of us as Christians, for some of us, we may be... um, we may be holding on to some things within our lives where we really believe it's truth, but it's but it's a lie, and so it, it, that lie has become truth. It's become our perception. The other day, actually yesterday, I was buying something online or buying something, and I had to give my credit card number to this young person over the phone. Okay, so uh, he asked me for the number for the number, and I give him the number, and then I, what I like to do is, which never works. I, I, you know the you know the drill, right? You give the number, you give the expiration date, you give the code on the back. Okay. I like to be proactive, give the number, and then go right into the expiration date and right to the ID on the back. Right? It's just the way I like to do things. I feel like I'm smarter than have to be asked what's the expiration. You know what I mean? Just like, just let me give it to you. You just type it in. So we start in, and I give him the number, and then. The expiration date, I said, I said, I'm not going to share you what my real expiration date is because I don't know if you've lifted my credit card or not. So, well, if you did, you'd see it. But anyhow, I said, it's 7 of 19, in which he replies and says, could you please just give me the numbers so I can type it in? And I'm like, 0719. And I thought to myself, what? I'm like, you're, now I'm kind of nervous because you're taking my card and you're not really like exuding much intelligence here. You know what I mean? It's like 07 of 19. Well, just give me the numbers because it's easier to type in. 0719. I mean, I can't, we can't break it down much more than that. Anyhow, I'm just kind of using that as a perception that you can have. I can have a perception of this individual, right? I could develop, and we do it all the time. We do it when we meet people. When we first meet people, we form a perception of that person, right? Based upon our impression of them. Some of us will hold to that. 
You know, well, this is my impression of them. And some of us will hold on to that for a long time, if not forever of that person. We won't give that person a second chance, a third chance or anything. It's like this is the way that person is. This is who they are. And we've already formulated all this in our minds. The problem with that is what if it's not true? The problem is what if it's what if it's not true? And now you've formed an impression of somebody that is not accurate. It's not true. We do, we can do that with situations. The scary thing is, is when Satan, because he's the father of lies, comes into our minds at times and plants these little seeds. And if we're not careful, and if we don't know the truth, it can, some, it can literally take our lives in a completely different trajectory. Okay? That trajectory can destroy relationships. It can destroy um, it can destroy our homes. It can destroy our our families. It can destroy our financial situation. I mean, it can destroy a lot of things. And that's those are some of the things I want to talk about through this series called Liar Liar. One of the things I want to share, I want to talk about today, is this concept of self sufficiency. Okay, we live in a world where self sufficiency is king. Okay, we live in a world where don't ask questions. Don't ask someone for help because that shows you that's a sign of what? Weakness. I don't want to ask you to help me do something because that's a sign of weakness. And if I expose myself to you and I expose this little glitch in my armor, you're going to come in and you're going to hurt me, right? Now, let's be very honest. Some of us are sitting in here and we've been hurt. Some of us are sitting in here and we've been hurt time and time again because we've allowed someone to come into our life. Some of us are sitting in here right now where we're closed off because that's happened. And we believe that if we ever open up again, we're going to get hurt and we are not going to open up again for anything and for no one. We're going to, we're going to seclude ourselves and we're not going to, we're going to build a wall. And we're not going to let other people in because they're going to hurt hurt us. And so we need to learn how to be very self-sufficient, right? We need to learn how to make sure that, that um, you know, that whatever I put my hands to, I can do it myself. Now, where this really becomes a problem is when we bring it over into our relationship with Christ. In our, in our Christian walk, Okay? This is where this can real, this really becomes damaging because in our Christian walk, it was never designed to be solo, ever. Now you may say, well, that's right, because I have Jesus with me and the Holy Spirit. So right there's three, so leave me alone, okay? James also says this, share your burdens with others. A parable, or not a parable, I have been saying parables all day, but a, a, one of the things that Solomon said, uh, was, Iron sharpens iron. There's something about doing life together, journeying together, okay? And when we believe that we need to be self-sufficient, when you believe that you need to be closed off, when you believe that you can't, that you should never ever share your Christian walk with anybody, that it's a private matter, that you shouldn't open up, you're being deceived. You're buying into one of the greatest lies of Satan. Because that is one of the quickest ways that your walk with Christ can become very stunted. None of us are perfect. None of us are at a point where we've arrived where it's like, I don't have any more learning to, 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 to I don't have any more growth to happen. There's no more growth to be had here. 
And the one thing that can stunt our growth quicker than anything else, and we stay immature, is we will not allow anybody within our lives to, to, to help us grow and to journey together. Now, I'm not saying that we should stand up and invite everyone up at certain points in time and let's, let's just air out our dirty laundry. I don't propose that whatsoever. But what I do propose is, if we don't have one or two other individuals within our lives that knows where we are significantly weak and where we need the most help within our lives so that they can, so that they can help hold us accountable, so that they can help journey with us and walk with us, if we don't have that, you are going to stay in that where you're at right there. By the way, when we talk about addictions, it's often said when someone becomes addicted to a drug or whatever, whatever that age is, is where they stay. So if they become addicted to drugs or something like, you know, of, of that nature uh, around 17, they're literally going to stay at that maturity level. And some of us have been around people that's been addicted and they have a completely different view and perspective of things, right? And so that can happen, I believe, within our Christian walk. Now, one of the things that we say here, and I want to be very clear about this, because this is something that's been really, I've been thinking about this a lot. One of the things we say here, we talk about small groups and getting in small groups. Small groups is one way that that can happen. However, I want to be very clear here. Small groups is not the only way that that can happen. The point of it is, is this. Are we doing life together with somebody and a couple other individuals? To say that that has to happen in a small group, I believe, is very legalistic. Should it be happening in a small small group? Could it happen in a small group? Absolutely it can. Absolutely it can. But I want to tell you, I've been, and I'm not downing small groups, I think people should be in small groups. But I also would say this, the important thing is, not so much that you're in a small group, you're not in small, the important thing for me is, are you doing life together? Are there a couple other individuals in your life that know truly who you are? Because let's be honest, the bigger that number gets, a lot of times we won't open up and share. Now that doesn't mean that can't happen, because I have been a part of groups where that number has been a little bit bigger, but there was still a high level of confidentiality and where each other, we cared for one another. But I also know that there are times where we don't feel comfortable in that. But are we doing life together? For me, I have a couple individuals within my life that know exactly who I am, where I have struggles. I'm very open and honest with them. And it is iron sharpening iron. Very much so. And there's times where I grit my teeth. There's times where I want to punch somebody because it hurts. But that's iron sharpening iron. And that's the one thing that's going to help me grow. And vice versa. If you, you, it is very imperative that we have that type of relationship, whether it's in a small group or whether it's just within two or three other individuals where we're doing life together. Does that make sense? Satan will tell you, absolutely not. Do not show anybody that weak point of yourself. Do not let anybody into that recess of your heart, to the interior part of your heart where you really, really need to grow within within Christ, within your walk. Satan will say, no way. You've been hurt. You're going to be hurt again. Don't you ever trust them. And so we buy into this lie of self-sufficiency. We buy into this lie that I'm okay, that I'm strong enough, that I can do this on my own, that I don't have any weaknesses, and I'm not going to share my weaknesses. 
There's some other ones that we come, that play in here too. Our emotions, where we say, well, we gotta be, you know, 100% emotionally strong. We gotta be 100% provisionally strong. We gotta be spiritually strong, professionally strong. These types of things where it's all about this sense of self-sufficiency and I can do this. We are buying in to a lie of Satan. I'm telling you, if that is the things that you believe in and you're living your spiritual life that way, you're buying into a lie of Satan. Your strength is limited. We are human. Our strength is absolutely 100% limited to a certain point. God's strength is 100% unlimited. The only way that we're going to be able to tap in, or one of the ways I should say, one of the most significant ways that we're going to be able to tap in to God's strength in that unlimited part is doing life together. Now, I want to share this passage of Scripture with you, and I think it's a very important passage to look at. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, I just want to share a couple things to, uh, share a couple things with you about this passage of Scripture as it applies to being self-sufficient, okay? Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard translation. But it's very um, close to the ESV or the NIV, whichever one you may be reading from. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Now, what's taking place is this. Jesus is, Jesus is on the scene, and all these people are bringing their children to Jesus, okay? Now, this is where I think when you read this, a casual reading of this, you kind of get this, the disciples get a bad rap here because the disciples, as people are bringing these kids to Jesus, the disciples are like, you know, look, get them away. Don't, no, don't do that. Don't bring your kids to Jesus. And so we look at that and we're like, wow, these guys are really, they're evil, you know. These guys are really off the rocker. But what they're doing is this, and this is suggested, and I would, pro- I, I think I lean more towards this interpretation, this passage of scripture, is that it's like when a mom comes home after working all day or a father comes home after working all day and they've got a lot of that you've got a lot of stuff on your mind there's a lot of things that's on your mind right now you haven't had a moment to decompress yet and your young kids come up to you and they just want to flood you and they're just like that ah! they just want to see you and it's a really cool time for your kids and it's a special moment but you're not present whatsoever right you still have all this stuff that you that you're that's juggling in your mind and you just need a minute to catch your breath and just kind of, just kind of, just sit there for a second and just collect your thoughts, okay? And kind of leave your work behind or leave whatever it is behind so that you can be fully present with your kids. In which your spouse says, hey, guys, can you leave, you need to leave mommy alone for just a few minutes. Just leave her alone for a second. Or your, or the father says, or the, the, the mom says, hey, you need to leave your father alone for a minute. He's had, he's got a lot on his mind. Just let him decompress for a second. I think that's what the disciples were doing. It was, it was a, it was a care they had for Jesus. Jesus was, uh, under a lot of, you know, kind of under a lot of stress. He was on the move. There were some significant things going down in his life at this particular point in time. And so what they were doing, they were caring about Jesus. They were genuinely trying to show Jesus some, uh, just some compassion. Okay. So that's one interpretation. And I think that interpretation really, I think it, I think it catches it. Uh, but you may have a different one on that, but I think, I think it does catch it here. But when we read this passage of scripture, I want you to pick up on something here. Let me read it to you. Um, it says this. Some people were even bringing infants to him so he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. 
Jesus, however, invited them, let the little children come to me and don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, whoever whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Okay? Now, there's a key word in this passage that I want us to extract here. Okay? And I think it's glossed over a lot when we read this passage. Some people were bringing what? What's the next word? What do you got? Babies? What else? Was that it? Is everybody in agreement with babies? Is that your final answer? That's what I'm going to go with too, all right? Infants, babies. What do we know about infants and babies? What do you know about infants and babies? Just shout out some things about infants. They can't what? They can't do anything by themselves. Interesting. What else? They cry. They need help. They're dependent. They're innocent. Nothing over here. What is it? They trust blindly. Okay. Absolutely. What's that? They're needy. What else? They're cute. Is that what you said? There we go. They're cute. And we're done. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Absolutely. I think it's key here that they use infants. I think it's key here that they use the word babies. Because some would say, well, and if you go to this next slide, some would say, well, you know, and we, and we said it here. Well, there's a sense of wonder, right? An infant has a sense of wonder. A child, a young child has this sense of wonder of life, man. It's, you know, it's, and I think, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's there as well. Some would say trust. Trust. An infant, you know, an infant or let's say even just a little bit older than an infant, they have this implicit trust, right? If they're in a healthy situation, there's this sense of trust that they just kind of, they just kind of go about life and they trust. You know, it's just like, it's just, they just do it. It's not like they step back and kind of, you know, way through. It's like, they trust. You know, they follow, they follow their parents. They, you know, and they trust. Again, at this age, right? They haven't started the other awkwardness yet. Um, obedience. Speaking of awkwardness, right? They're still young. There's this kind of this sense of obedience, right? With kid, forgiveness. I mean, kids are, you know, you, you can kind of, you can, kids are pretty resilient. They're pretty resilient. I mean, when you kind of blow it and you go back to them and you say, you know what, man, I was wrong. I was, I was off the wall. Please forgive me. They're pretty, they're, they're, they're forgiving. That's okay. That's okay. I love you. And etc. But someone said over here, and we started talking, this is a, you know, there's this sense, you know, when you talk about infants and you talk about babies, they can't do it on their own. Can they not? How many of you, when you read a story about somebody abandoning a, ba- a baby in a dumpster, it just literally turns your stomach into knots? Because all you can think about, this is a helpless child. You've brought a helpless soul. You've brought a helpless, you've brought somebody that if no one's there, they're not going to make it. They don't have the abilities to make it. That's where they're at. They're so dependent. They're so 
They're, they're so in need of someone to help them. I think that's what Jesus was saying. I think Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, was saying this. If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, there better be this huge sense of dependence to you. Look at verse 17 again. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. What does that mean? I think there's a sense of dependence that he's talking about here. And I think that sense of dependence runs deeper. I think it runs, it starts with him, right? It starts with him where we depend on him. I get that. But let's not, let's not just leave it at that because we're good at leaving it at that. Well, I'll depend upon Jesus. That's all I need. No, that's, yes, in one sense it is, right? In the matter of sense, it is. For salvation, it is. But Jesus, this whole thing, when you go back and, when we go back and read the Bible, when you go back in this time and even even uh, even today, this culture was very communal and is very communal. Do you understand what communal means? It's the antithesis of America, right? I mean, how many of us Americans, we live in houses that are like 1,800 square feet for two or three people, right? And then you go on a mission trip to Honduras or you go on a mission trip to some other place where it's about communal living and they've got families. And we even talk about it in the United States, right? When like the Latino families come in, the Hispanics come in and they all live in a house. And we're like, geez, that's kind of weird, right? That's odd that these families would live together. Um, there's a large portion of this world that that's how they live. It's a communal living. They're doing life together. There's a deep respect and there's communal living taking place. There's a sense of, of, of dependence. But, but my point I'm trying to make here is this. We, we in America, man, we're so dependent, man. Or, or so independent. You know, that's, what, that's our badge of honor, right? We're self-sufficient. I don't need, you know, when I'm in a time of need, I don't need to ask other people. In fact, I, you don't know how many conversations I've had. And this is where, man, I, you know what? And I want you guys to really hear this because this goes both ways, especially for our church. I can't tell you how many times I've sat and I've talked with people where things in their life have just totally changed. You know what I mean? They've, they've lost their job. And they've had to become dependent. They've had to learn how to receive gifts from other people. They've had to learn how to receive gifts from the church. And it's extremely humbling for people. I just had a conversation with someone this week and we were talking and it was, I mean, it, an attender, an attendee here. And they are in, in that situation and, and things have changed within their lives. And they've, and, and, and I'm telling you what, none of us would want to be in this situation. But many of us, including the church as a whole, have reached out to this person and we've blessed them with monetary gifts. We've blessed them with helping do things and, and all kinds of stuff. And they've had to learn how to accept. But as we sat and talked, there was these tears that came out. And there were tears of thankfulness from the church. Because I want to tell you something. We have a very, our church has a very huge heart in helping people. We do. Uh, kudos to us, okay? Kudos to us. You guys have a very huge heart for helping people. And we genuinely want to do that. 
But when you're on the other side of that and you're receiving, this person understood and, and absolutely understands the heart of our church and is absolutely um, overwhelmed by the help that they're receiving from, from us and from individuals. But there's that side. There's that other side that says, I don't want to be viewed as someone who who has to rely or has to be dependent or and it wasn't it wasn't done in a sense of it wasn't done in a sense of like rebelling against being self, being dependent you know and they wanted to be self sufficient it wasn't so much that it was just the awkwardness of it right it was the awkwardness of receiving it was the awkwardness of receiving love of receiving help and i assured them i said you got to understand and they, and they know this but I said, you got to understand, our church loves to help. They don't. I said, people don't view you that way. People don't look at you and say, oh, here they come. You know, what are they going to need now? Oh, here they come. They're abusing the system. Oh, here we go. They're just, you know, they're just relying on the church. I said, they are, we don't feel that way. We don't feel that way, do we? We have huge hearts. And it's amazing. But there's that other side where someone's receiving it. And I want to tell you something. This issue of self-sufficiency runs deep. It runs deep. And for us sitting in here to say that we don't deal with that or that it's not in us, I hope we never have a time where we have to be tested on it. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to tell you something. It runs deep. And Jesus is saying, people that are part of the, my kingdom are people that have, understand dependence. They understand dependence like an infant. They understand without other individuals within their lives, they're not going to make it. That's a huge pill to swallow, is it not? Is that easy for you guys? How many of you, and I'm not, this is not a legalistic question, this is not a browbeating question, I'm just asking, and if you want to be honest, hopefully you're honest, you don't have to answer, but just raise your hand. How many of you in your life right now, there are at least two or three other individuals that know the deepest, darkest person that you have. How many of you, how many of you have two or three people that you're journeying together with? Very few. And I appreciate people being honest. Very few. It runs deep, guys. It runs deep. You need to be in a small group. I want to change how we word things around here. It's not about it's about doing life together. Okay, can we start using those words? It's about doing life together. Are we doing life together? And some of that comes down to you making a decision to allow that to happen. Okay? It doesn't depend upon other, it doesn't depend upon other individuals. It depends upon you. Will you let that happen within your life or will you not allow that to happen? Now, guys, let me just say this, okay? This is my opinion. Okay, so don't tune me out. Just listen, okay? I get to say this because I got the mic, all right? Please hear me out. 
When you say it's your spouse, can we be honest? Some of you, yes, may have that relationship where you say, well, my spouse is the one that knows my deepest, darkest secret, and they're the ones I do life together with. Okay. The only problem is, a lot of times, your spouse can be very biased. Right? Some of you have spouses that are very biased, and they're not going to tell you the truth. They're going to sugarcoat it. You know why? Because your spouse is afraid of you. Men. I'm talking to you, men. Some of us are afraid of our spouses, right? We don't want to open up to them and say, hey, I'm really struggling in this area. I got to thinking about this week, you know, I was talking to the staff and I was like, you know what? And this is stuff I'm thinking about. I'm coming to an end to my, to, like I said, to, to the, to the education part, if you will, of my, of my masters. And I'll be done in April, which I'm so excited about. And I shared with you that. And I thank you for journeying with me. But one of the things I, I've been really thinking a lot about our church and I've been thinking about what, how do we do life together? And, and our vision, our vision says to restore the broken one life at a time. Well, my question is this. How are we doing that? How do we do that? Now, we will go back to certain things. Like, well, we do it this way, this way, this way. You know, well, let me say, let me suggest this. How are we helping people? Do we not, when we start listing brokenness, where are the areas that we can really get broken? I mean, really broken, right? Marriages, right? How many marriages have we seen break up? How many marriages have we, we need to help. We need to help. We need to teach. Finances is another area. Addictions, okay? And when I start talking about addictions, we have addictions to alcohol, addictions to drugs, addictions to all these things. And then you get to pornography, right? And this is the beauty, guys. Men, I'm speaking to you just because I think this is predominantly us, right? But let me just say this. This is one we can just check off, right? Because no one in our church is ever, ever tempted with pornography, right? That's how we treat things. Those are lies that we buy into by Satan. And some of us are sitting in here right now and we're dealing with pornography in our lives and it's tearing us apart inside and our families may not know about it, but they can sense it. Satan has got you. And you're going to try to keep it a secret. And again, I'm not suggesting, I don't know. I just know that I'm a man and I just know what Satan does to tempt us with everything possible. It could be gambling. It could be out. It could be whatever it is. But somehow we don't want to say, you know what? I need help or I need to stay strong. I need to stay pure. And the reason why I'm saying that is this. Because we've tried to do ministries and people won't show up. People won't show up to things like that. Direct ministries like that. Because we live in a small town of Blissfield, right? And Blissfield, we don't want to do that because Blissfield talks. Correct? That's correct because you've told me that. <laughs> but I just want to say this. Welcome to Satan's lie. Welcome to Satan's lie. Now we're struggling with impurity in our lives. But no one knows, right? No one else knows. And so we buy in to self-sufficiency. Because I'm not struggling in my marriage. I'm not struggling with my finances. I'm not struggling parenting. I'm not struggling with pornography. I'm not struggling with alcohol. I'm not struggling with gossiping. I'm not struggling with any of these things. I'm okay. I'm okay. 
Guys, it's going to take us apart. There is, that is the, that is, again, something that we've got to be very careful about. And, and again, I'm with you. I am with you. This, I'm journeying in the, on this journey with you. And we have to be very careful that we don't become this sense of self, of self-sufficiency because Jesus is saying, this is all about being dependent. And there's going to be a point to where you have to decide what is it do you want more? Do you want to be self-sufficient or you want to be dependent and you want to journey with a couple other people or in a small group or whatever it is, but you're journeying with some people that really know your weakness and dark spot and you're willing to go there and to, and to trust so that you can become more mature and become more like Christ. Real quick, as the worship team comes back, I want to share with you just a couple passages. Second Corinthians says this, and this is what Paul says. Now look at this. If you think you can do this on your own, it's absolutely impossible. Paul says in Second Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10, he says, he said, uh, and Paul was praying. Paul, you know, Paul had this weakness, and Paul's like, please just take this away. And Jesus says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. So what? So that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul was saying, you know what? This isn't about me. This is about Christ. And as I journey on this journey, I'm weak. I've got a weakness. I've got some... By the way, we don't even know what the thorn in this side was. Some would say it was eyesight. I've heard a handful of other things, uh, even to sexual stuff, about what this thorn was. We don't know. The Bible doesn't really make it clear what this was. We do know this, that Paul, some dude, that if he could have been... If there's anybody that could have been self-sufficient, and you think it would be Paul, this guy was strong, man. I mean, this guy was strong. But his strength came from Jesus. His strength came from his weakness, saying that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I will be the strongest within the weak, in my weakness. He also wrote, wrote in, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. There's that sense of dependence. There's this dependence where we depend upon God and this dependence where God speaks through other individuals in our lives. Okay? And guys, when I say guys, that's guys and gals, right? This is a two-way street. Here's my thing. I have people within my life, two or three individuals that, again, knows things about me that other people don't know, that you guys don't know, that journeys with me. I know things about them. There is reciprocity taking place. When we sit, this is where I get a little kind of, I don't have to sit down with these guys and say, hey, could we sign a covenant together so that we will talk about things? Can we sign a covenant so we can say we're going to show up and talk about these things? Can we sign a covenant that says that, you know, we're going to hold each other accountable? No, that's not the way it is. You, there's, it happens naturally. They're, because we want it. Because these guys want it. And we're able to have, we have freedom to talk and to speak into each other's lives. We're doing life together. I truly believe that's part of being dependent. Like an infant. Where it says, I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. 
I need other guys in my life to help me journey and walk through this. That is the question that you guys are going to have to answer. That is what Jesus is calling us to. The question becomes, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to be drawn in deeper in your relationship with Christ to go there? Or are you going to back up and play this game of self-sufficiency? You know what's really sad is that I've had conversations with people that their friends don't even know what's going on within the person of this, in the life of this person. I've asked them, hey, does so-and-so know what's going on? No, I can't trust them. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. You can't trust them and they're your friend. How does that work? Because they'll talk. Wow. That's sad. That's sad. And it'd be so easy to buy into the lie that says, close it off. Close it off because everybody's that way. That's something we're all going to face. If you want to grow deeper, and I don't think this is a question whether, if it's a question as, as this is where Christ, this is where Jesus is calling each and every one of us to go deeper into our relationship with Him, to go deeper. But it's done through, with doing life together with some individuals. What does that look like for you? Will you respond to that? Will you respond to that? We're going to close with one last song. And I ask that you would just use this song to, to respond to the call of Jesus. Are you going to be someone that's, consi- you know, you're, 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 man, you're self-sufficient. When it comes to your time and you're laying there and everybody's coming to pay their last respects, they, they're going to tout and say, man, they were self-sufficient. They didn't lean on anybody. Is that a, is that a good state? Is that a good thing? Or is that a negative thing? Where they say, man, he loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. And she wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to do life together with people. To, to, to be deeper in his relationship with Jesus. Why don't you stand? Let me lead us into a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to respond to him through this last song. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you give us strength. You have unlimited power that we can draw upon, but you give us strength to do life together with other individuals. And I pray, Father, that you would raise up individuals in here right now to do life together. I pray that we would not fall to this sense of self-sufficiency, that we would allow that weed to grow up and in and through our lives where we buy into that lie where it says we have to be self-sufficient and not open up. But, Father, I pray that we would open up to, to a couple other individuals and we would do life together to grow deeper in our relationship with you, ultimately to bring you glory. And so I pray that you would press hard on us right now. Press hard on us and just lean into us so that we might know for sure right now how we, how we are doing in that area of our lives. And may you break down walls. May you break down places where we have, we have, uh, where we're hiding. May you break those down so that we can grow more into your image and not buy into the lies of Satan. And it's in the powerful name of you, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.